Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Lawmakers will return to Salem next week for the short 2024 session. They'll take up housing and homelessness and budget questions, but Oregon's drug laws could be the defining issue. In fact, the question no longer seems to be if lawmakers will change voter-passed measure 110, but by how much. Yesterday, we talked to two Democratic leaders about their proposal to recriminalize drugs and increase access to treatment. We're going to hear today about the Republican proposal. Jeff Helfrich is a state representative from Hood River and the House Republican leader. He joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. I want to start with a short excerpt from the end of yesterday's show. As I mentioned, we talked about the Democratic proposal. This is Senate Majority Leader Kate Lieber. We agree we need to build up treatment everywhere. We agree we need to protect our children uh, with prevention. We agree we need to treat drug dealers more harshly and make sure that we can prosecute them. And I think we agree we need to give police officers tools to confiscate. I think there are more points of agreement than there are disagreement in these particular proposals. Before we get to specifics, because there there are some disagreements, do you, do you think she's right that there is a kind of bipartisan consensus emerging among lawmakers. I would say that we as human beings are compassionate and we want to help people. And I think that is the goal of this legislative session. And as legislators, we want to do right by the citizens of our great state. That said, there's going to be different pathways to get there. And there, I believe at the end, there will be a final bipartisan solution. What that looks like, we don't know yet because we put our proposal out and asked for feedback, asked for to be to sit at the table. The My colleagues across the aisle have had conversation, conversation, but never said, Republicans, please come into this room. Let's dissect your bill. And now how can we incorporate that with our bill, what we believe? Their bill was allowed to be looked at, from my understanding, by a lot of the people that are the non-government organizations or the nonprofits had a lot of input on the bill that they're putting forward. I have not seen the opportunity for us to say we would like this in the bill or like that. These are things that we would like in the bill. And I think the pushback would be them saying, well, we did invite you. You have people on the committee. It's like, but our voices weren't heard because you'd have these breakout sessions and you had all the uh, stakeholders that were receiving funds quite frankly, having more voice at that table than we were. What does it tell you? Um, I'm going to put it this way. Were you surprised when Democrats put forward a proposal that included the recriminalization of the possession of illicit drugs? Were you expecting that? The voters said that's what they want. When we've all, you mean, time, you mean people in polls? People, yeah, polls. I mean, the voters, yeah, said, the, voter, the voters said, said yes decriminalize. Yeah, decriminalize. But they, what they said yes to was the compassionate treatment and care of people who are affected by drugs. That second line of that, what it said was reclassification of drugs. Didn't say decriminalizing the drugs. It said reclassification of that. That meant an e-ticket is what we see now. And that means there's no accountability with that. A citation so, as opposed to a it's misdemeanor. A, it's, it's a traffic ticket. It's just a printed off piece of paper that says, and they have to actually have another um, piece of paper to go with that uh, e-ticket to say, this is the number you have to call to, to get help. 
They have to have two pieces of paper. So you have somebody that's been infected by drugs, and here's one piece of paper, and here's another piece of paper, and where do you think those pieces of paper are going to land after that's been given to them? I'm pretty sure it's going to get left on the sidewalk or wherever they were at. Well, there's, there's now data to show that, that something like 99% of people don't call that number. Correct. So that said, I believe uh, the through the polling, the citizens say we need to have criminalization. And the debate is between a class C misdemeanor and a class A misdemeanor. Let's turn to this. Uh, so as we heard, because uh, most listeners, I, I can't remember uh, what that means without looking it up. So a class C misdemeanor, that's a lower level. That's what Democrats are pushing for in their proposal. That could carry a penalty of 30 days in jail and or a fine of about $1,200. What you and the Republicans are pushing for is a higher level crime, class A. It would be up to a $6,200 fine uh, and up to a year in jail or, or, or both. Why? Why the, the, the much more uh, serious penalty? So let's walk that back just for a moment. Let's talk about what possession used to be. It used to be a C felony for marijuana or for uh, cocaine. Heroin got you to a B felony. And so now what we're talking about is an A misdemeanor. Take out the fine. The fine is not part of this. We want to get people help and get them to where they need to get good treatment. And so by using the A misdemeanor, as you would for a DUI arrest, you get a citation. You go through the court system that says, here is your opportunity for diversion. Here's your opportunity to, for you to get help yourself for the next year. You can go through treatment. And then at the end of that year, we can then vacate your conviction or vacate the, the, the arrest. And then you continue on with your treatment. If you only have 30 days to have people be held accountable, they're going to relapse. And there's no upstep in the C. If you start out at the highest level and then you bring it back, you can always go down in the charging instrument or the how you're going with this. But you have to start somewhere where you have leverage to get people the help they need. Not everybody's going to end up in arrest. Some people will go to treatment. There's an opportunity for them to get the treatment. And that's I think that's the biggest thing that we need to understand is you have to get the people have to be motivated to get treatment. They may not know they need treatment until they're sobering up after a week coming off their high. I was a police officer for the city of Portland for over 25 and a half years. I had the opportunity to wear a badge that was the ticket to the greatest show on earth. I had a front row seat to life. I saw the best and worst in people. And I was able to actually help people get them off the street, get them drug, uh, get their care that they needed for their drug addiction. And they became productive members. I had somebody when I was on the Mounted Patrol unit, um, Garth Allen, uh, Garth was his name. I arrested him numerous times for alcohol, open containers, of alcohol. He got so tired of getting arrested. He finally got help. And it was just a citation and pouring out the beer, but this is city port in violation. But he, the judge told him, you write a letter to that officer that arrested you and explain how he got help to you. He tracked me down one day and I was riding horses. And I didn't recognize him. Here's the letter, uh, officer help, thank you so much for getting me help. What's your vision of of how this would work in an ideal world if if um, the class a misdemeanor system were to pass so so let's say next next year somebody um, uh, on the street in Pendleton uh, is found with a, a bag of meth what happens so we have to have the tools in place and those tools are going to be the drug courts get the counties the dollars they need because I believe local control in this issue specifically they know what they need and so we get them their local control get them the dollars they need get the program set up get the help that they need but when somebody were to get arrested or get a citation they get booked into jail they then in that moment could go through a processing officer hey 
here's your opportunity to get help. We're going to get you to the diversion. We're going to hold this charge until you complete diversion. But once it's completed, it goes away. If they don't complete diversion and they get arrested again, then they get a, then there's an opportunity to get them in jail, to get them cleaned up for 30, 60, or 90 days, and then get them out back into the system, get them the care that they need in that long-term solution to the recovery. So the, the, the basic idea at the heart of your bill is that drug treatment has to be mandatory, not optional. How much more treatment... Um, I mean, setting aside questions about you know the, the the potential increase in the criminal justice system, but just on, on the treatment side, if we're talking about inpatient detox, about outpatient support, about peer support, medication-assisted treatment, how much more do you envision we would need um, for the treatment to actually exist that that people are going to be forced into? if they're not going to spend time in jail. So we have to have facilities. And so there's a thing when you start talking about in the treatment facilities, talk, start talking about residential facilities. One of the things I talked with uh, Majority Leader Fahey was, all right, people don't want facilities within their neighborhoods, but they say in, in treatment facilities or treatment facilities within residential areas, why don't we look at the zoning laws within the light industrial or light commercial where, or next to a hospital where we can have these locked these facilities, people can come and go and get the treatment they need and create that, that environment where they can have that ecosystem to get the, the, the uh, treatment that they need and go forth. Because there's not, a lot of, there's not enough beds out here, there's not enough space, not enough providers, but how do we create that network and that ecosystem to get the help they need. But do you have a sense for how much is needed? I mean, how, how big an increase in, in treatment um, your bill would necessitate? The first part of that is the conversation with the counties. What do you guys need? I know out in Wasco County, they have a center that provides treatment and we're trying to get more funding for that. But there's a, you look at a, a, a bike wheel, there's a, the hub, the spokes and the wheel. There's a center where you could take people to, then they get them the, out on the spokes of the tire to get them the help that they need. That's a model that's out there that could be used. And that's just not for Wasco County. It's for Hood River County, Sherman County, Gillum County. And juveniles were always going to that system from Portland too. So uh, there's models out there to use. Let's find the best system that's working for us. And am I right that, because uh, it was hard, when I read the bill or, or scanned, it was about over 100 pages. 110, I think, yes. Um, but, but it seemed like lottery funds is is where you would hope to, to tap into to pay for this increase. But there's a blank line there. It doesn't say how much money you'd be requesting in terms of lottery funds. That's, that's where we need to have that budgetary ask what that looks like. You know, but the other part is, is we have those dollars already available with the marijuana tax dollars, right? Well, for the th treatments. Th that's, that is what Measure 110, I mean, it was sort of it was a two-pronged thing. It was take cannabis money and put that towards a whole version of, of treatment and, and recriminalize, uh, decriminalize drugs. You're saying... You're not talking then about new money. You're saying use existing, existing. money that comes from cannabis. Yes. So, so And so not get more money from the lottery? Two approach. We need two sources of funding, right? We have the, the X amount of lottery dollars and then do use the, uh, excuse me, the uh, marijuana dollars, the tax uh, revenue from that. And then do we have to use the uh, dollars for bonding or for the lottery for that, for those other parts of that? There's, you have to have two pots of money to work with, but we have a base um, revenue source for these programs that come out of the marijuana tax dollars. Another big difference, as I see it, between your proposal and the one from the Democrats is that you're pushing for really serious consequences for people who deal drugs that result in fatal overdoses. It could be punishable by up to 20 years in prison. What's the idea behind this provision? We have to deter the drug dealers from coming here. We now have said this great experiment, this Petri dish of Measure 110, has now allowed people to come here and 
sell drugs and use drugs basically without any type of accountability. Well, but selling drugs is absolutely as illegal as it has ever been right. in this state. But have they haven't had the resources to put towards getting the getting the dealers out there. There's a, there's another part of this component when it comes to police police officers are there their staffings down to they where are the resources are at because there's an exponential um, need for them and there's a dwindling workforce for the the police officers. There is I believe if you with the drugs of fentanyl are so potent and can be so deadly. It's not like somebody took cocaine, snorted it, smoked it. The the opposite the possibilities of them dying is there, but not to the same effect as there is with fentanyl. And so if you are delivering a substance that could kill kill somebody else, you need to hold them accountable because that would then help deter people coming in and selling those drugs. There's there's a heavier, heavier price for that. Are we going to get to the dealers that are coming across uh, whatever border to sell these? I got to worry. We have to worry about Oregon. How do we stop the flow, flow of drugs into Oregon? One of the things that your bill would do is give more power to the state's Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission and take it away from uh, what's called the Oversight and Accountability Council under the Oregon Health Authority Mm -hmm. that was created by voters in Measure 110. This is the kind of bureaucratic change that can easily escape public attention. Why is this uh, included in your bill? Why is this important? What what has the current system, the Accountability Council, done? Where is the success of that? Where's the money that rolled out from that? Last session, we had to have a bill to actually make them have a actual director for that. These funds, these programs have not been rolled out in a manner in which has been productive. There has been no accountability with that. And so then you move it over to a, a known entity that has actually done work and done this area, then can th- get those dollars out. I feel more comfortable with that doing that. But what what does give you faith about the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission? I mean, what what, what are the successes that they have had that, that make you say that, that this governor-appointed commission would do better at uh, at managing and handling millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of grants. I will say, what has the last system done? And they've done, they've managed these grants before. They, they, have, they have a track record where the other, the other system has, doesn't have the track record. They have not completed, they haven't done what the people's will was. And so we have to find a way to get the dollars where they need to go. What else do you think the legislature should focus on this session? Housing. We have to have housing. We, I live in a district where the medium uh, price income or medium house is seven hundred thousand dollars for a starter house. That's incredible. I mean, beautiful area in Hood River, but I couldn't afford to live there right now. And Bend is the same way. Portland, the same. The median uh, price of a house isn't quite the same, but we have to be able to produce more houses. We have to reduce the barriers that are causing builders not to build houses and driving those cost drivers up. So that's that's probably the biggest part of that. Being the vice chair of housing and homelessness when I was uh, uh, last session, I really opened my eyes about how many barriers are created through our land use system. We have we have a system that goal one is public input, which is an incredible uh, thing for us to have, but goal 10 is production. There's eight more things in between there that get between production and, and people's input. And so we have to be able to streamline a lot of processes and we need to get production going so we can, if we start putting houses out at a faster pace to meet the governor's goals of 36,000 units per year, because we're at 19 right now, we have to catch up because we want to attract workforces, the workforce to come in here. So we're having other, um, when the semiconductors, I was on that committee, bringing those type of jobs in here, well, the workforce is going to have to be paid a certain dollar amount to actually afford a house somewhere. And so we have to have those cost drivers down. There's going to be a land use component to that. I know that causes 
a lot of angst with certain groups and organizations, and rightly so, but our system was designed in the 70s. Do we need to relook at this, and is that we need to tinker it? I'm not talking about an overhaul, but do we need to tweak some things to actually look at production? Yesterday, the Oregon State Supreme Court ruled that 10 conservative lawmakers, nine Republicans and an independent, cannot run for election either this coming November 2024 or in 2026. How do you think that is going to affect the session that is about to start? I have not had a chance to talk to Leader Canope, uh, the Senate uh, Republican leader. Your, your counterpart, com- counterpart in the, in the Senate. Senate. Uh, my sense is is they're going to come to work. They're going to we're going to do our job, the job of the people. I don't see any hot button real issues coming up. Um, we're not talking about guns and abortion this session, like it was last session. Those, if I believe, if we stop talking about guns and abortion and figure out that area in which we can agree on and get things done, that's a more productive legislative session than anything else. So, so I mean, to go back to the issue that we spent most of this conversation talking about, changes to Measure One Ten, you don't expect um, that Republican senators would walk out um, if it if. The basically, if the Democratic version of the Measure 110 changes were the, the bill in front of them, you, you think they would rather be there, even if that wasn't their favorite bill, as opposed to, to not being there and having the status quo of decriminalization continue? I can't speak for the Senate. I mean, they, they, they appreciate that. If you that. were telling them um, what, you would, what you would want, what would you tell them? I would say we have an opportunity to create effective change, not, there's, both bills are out there. There's low-hanging fruit, but there's substantial ways we can actually make change. Let's sit down and make that change so we can do right by the citizens of our great state. Jeff Helfrich, thanks very much. Thank you. Jeff Helfrich is a Republican state lawmaker from Hood River and the House Minority Leader.